hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I was recently at the CPAC meeting, the Conservative Political Action uh, Committee meeting in Washington, D.C., and I ran into an old friend, William Wallace. William Wallace is from Louisiana. He's from the Deep South, and he's an independent journalist, and I wanted to share this interview with you because he brings out so many good points and some of my commentary on what I am seeing in the media over the course of the pandemic. Body, here I am at CPAC with one of my favorite people who's always fighting for freedom, Dr. Peter McCullough. Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. I can't tell you, ever since you came out and fought for our freedoms and our liberties in the country with health freedom, you put yourself out there more than more than most people. You put your career on the line because you believe in freedom and liberty. And I just can't thank you enough for that. I really appreciate that. You know, I graduated from medical school. I took an oath, an oath to, above all, do no harm, help everyone to the best I can in my practice, my family, and to the public at large, being a public figure. I never thought a doctor would be on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial advocating for civil liberties. <laughs> exactly. But in the context of a medical crisis, indeed, that's what myself and doctors in my circle in my circles have basically been called to do. Right, exactly. And, and it's amazing, though, how many other doctors criticize the doctors who are doing their job. I'm always amazed at that. It just shows you that they're not, that maybe they don't fight for freedom as much. Yeah, you know, the criticism is one thing. But the suppression of opinions is another. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm in the business of giving opinions. Since when have you heard that one opinion can be crushed to favor another opinion? We can't talk right. about things. We always have grand rounds. We talk about drug safety all the time. We can't have grand rounds and talk about vaccine safety. And you know what's interesting? About a year ago, we did an interview out there in Dallas. Came yes. out there, one of my best interviews ever. And you uh, and you brought up a lot of things that got criticized in the months afterward as being conspiratorial, being crazy, not being true. But I'd like to, you to point out in a, in a second here how many of those things have come to be true. Things that you pointed out almost a year ago, we're now finding out are true today. You know, with your great journalism and those uh, of independent journalists in your circle, I've now done more media, more clips, more written opinion editorials, more analyses in public view for the record than Fauci, Walensky, Ja, uh, Murthy, Biden, Harris combined, combined. Amazing. And you can't find a, a newsreel or, or a montage that someone's going to put together showing a series of wrong statements. You won't find a montage showing flip-flopping. Exactly. Yet, yet we see newsreel after newsreel of, frankly, embarrassing statements by our public health officials, most recently uh, reviewing Anthony Fauci saying the virus did not come out of the lab in Wuhan. Exactly. What's amazing, as you're pointing out, is out of all the false statements they made, out of all the wrong information they put out there, 
they don't have a montage of it, but they want to be quick to criticize good people who are bringing out truth that have been proven to be true and factual since then. It's true. Uh, you know, my fellow uh, teammates uh, were frequent contributors on Fox News, Dr. Macri, Dr. Bhattacharya, and Koldorf, on the House investigative side, concluded the biggest purveyor of misinformation in COVID was the government agency. In itself. So, you know, there's, there's a couple questions I'm asking here at CPAC that I would value your opinion on. And, and one of which is, I believe that freedoms are under attack in America like we don't even realize. And I want to uncover some things. You know, a lot of people say, a lot of people just think of our freedoms as being our First Amendment and our Second Amendment. But I think there's a lot of other freedoms that we don't even think of as freedoms that are under attack. What do you think are the, are the biggest freedoms under attack that we're not talking about? Look at freedom of speech. Now remember, freedom of speech means that you can say anything you want to and receive no pressure, no coercion, no threat of reprisal. And here we have examples, for instance, if someone says something, they get demonetized on YouTube. Exactly. They say something and they become uh, censored off of Facebook community, as an example. Or, or how about this, civil liberties, and they exist all over. Uh, certain provinces in Canada, if somebody says something adverse to the vaccines, they can be jailed. Jailed. Yeah, it's, Jail it's time. Amazing. I know, fortunately, we don't have that here, but without good people like you being the firewall, being that, 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 that wall, that, that, uh, that barrier to between government oppression and creeping in our rights and our rights, I don't think we would have as many rights as we have today without good people like you fighting for them. Yeah, I felt like I've been on the vanguard of a force to preserve civil liberties. And without some counter-narrative in the major media, thank goodness for Fox and Newsmax, right. but I've been on ABC uh, and other stations. Thank goodness for some media to allow an interchange. We should have full interchange exactly. everywhere. And what we've seen is a railroading of a government narrative. When it came down to COVID-19, it was uh, wear masks, uh, stay in lockdown, stay in fear, wait to receive a vaccine, complete suppression and no discussion of any early Absolutely. treatment. Even the EUA approved early treatment, no mention of this. And then again, relentless promotion of the vaccines every six months with no exceptions. It's unbelievable. Like I said, now that we know the truth, I'm going to ask you, what do you think is one of the best things that we can do to fight for our freedoms here in America, knowing all of this? Each person has to realize that civil liberties are at risk. And by speaking out in each and every opportunity, one is preserving their, their, their rights to free speech, as an example. There's no reason to stay quiet on an issue. Each patient should feel like they should have a fair conversation with their doctor. And if a patient feels like the vaccines aren't safe, they better tell their doctor. Exactly. I know so many patients I say, uh, you know, doctor, I don't feel comfortable with the vaccines. Have I said, have you told your primary doctor? No, I'm afraid. Exactly. I'll tell you a story about that later. You know, in our country, we're all very divided. We're, you know, the narratives are dividing us up. You know, we, you know, people, good people like you put out good truth. You know, they create narratives to try to fight against it to get their point across, you know, which is, you know, we're finding out are all false. What do you think is the number one thing that we can do to unite more people in our country to fight for freedom and get out there and help get the truth out? 
I can tell you, you know what's been a missing element of this? The church. The church has not stood for civil liberties. The churches all have been captured by this this vaccine agenda, what we right. call the biopharmaceutical complex. People would always think their houses of worship ought to be, uh, if anything, uh, a, a safe haven, a sanctuary, if you will. Uh, we've seen the schools become right. captured. Uh, fortunately, uh, we, what we have now is we've had a clear retreat from mainstream media. You know, when I go on mainstream media, some nights on national TV is less than a million viewers. People are turning to alternative media. Just look at this meeting here. Exactly. What dominates this meeting? Mainstream media or alternative Ex independent exactly media? Exactly right. I don't even want to say alternative. I, I, I agree it's, with you. It's right, just yeah. independent media. Exactly. Independent media is dominating the day. The other big trend is, you know, young people. They don't even know what CNN is because they don't have TV. Exactly. So they pulled the plug, and they're getting their information through, uh, you know, uh, 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 condensed uh, uh, clips, uh, through social media, through various forms of online media. We're at the point, quite practically, the average elderly person can't manage six remotes anymore to try to turn on the TV. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It's like, exactly. Much. It's too much. The way it works. People want to get TV on their phone. And the good thing about independent media is you don't have to watch all the commercials. You don't have to deal with all the fluff. You can just get in there and with independent media watch a good interview with people like you. Other people that are being interviewed here that are just talking truth. That's They're right. They're very succinctly and educated in a very educated way talking the truth. And the best part about it is you don't have to believe them. If you, do, if you follow enough of the independent people like yourself, you can find a way. I always use this term in military terms, tri you know, triangulate and find the, uh, what you want to believe the best. And and you'll often find the truth, your gut feeling. People don't realize how much their gut feeling will tell them what the truth is when they listen to enough credible sources. Oh, but didn't that come up in the COVID-19 pandemic? This idea of what is somebody's fundamental sense of what seems right. The best example is pregnancy. Everyone knows pregnancy is a golden, special, natural time. Right. That we shouldn't drink any alcohol, no, no smoking, don't even eat soft cheese. And then this proposal that pregnant women should take an injection of foreign genetic code for a protein that was devised in a Chinese biosecurity lab. I mean, that violates every bit of common exactly. sense. Another one. Uh, how about this? This idea of masks. It got so ridiculous. There's montages of people wearing masks, swimming in swimming pools, on bicycles, driving alone. It's crazy. There's montages of little kids trying to play violins inside plastic teepees. People yeah. lost their minds. A recent report on the Cochrane analysis has published this now from the UK. 86 studies of masking. Dozens and dozens of trials. Conclusion. They don't work. They don't work. The CDC has basically said we only need to wear a mask when we're coming face to face with COVID in the hospital. Exactly. So this whole perseveration on masks was a giant waste of time and energy. It confused America and it became symbolic of fear. Dr. McCullough, I can't thank you enough for coming on my show on a regular basis. But most of all, we're fighting for our freedoms and doing the hard work that that. I don't even know how many people aren't able to do as much work as you're doing, but I can't tell you how valuable you are to our country. Thank, and I thank you. you very much. Thank you. God I bless appreciate you. you. Thank you very much. Everybody else, you heard it from Dr. McCullough. We've interviewed before. We're going to be interviewing again some. 
Wow, that was William Wallace. And I tell you what, he used the word fighting from freedom. I want to leave you with this thought. Are you a freedom fighter now? Do you care about the progressive loss of your freedoms, your civil liberties? Well, I tell you what, on the back side of the McCullough Report, we have a late-breaking interview with Dr. Clayton Baker, an internist from Western New York who's Harvard-trained, and I tell you, it's powerful. You have to listen to Dr. Baker and how he worked to assert and protect civil liberties, not only for himself and his family, but children and those in school. It's on the McCullough Report. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Wow, I just took my first supplement of healthy cell heart and vascular health, a new offering. It comes in a bright new red package. You can't miss it. Red for heart health. Uh, this is, again, the healthy cell microgel technology. Uh, the serving size is one gel pack which is uh, 0.85 ounces or 25 mLs. And what it contains is amazing. Uh, It has um, 32 milligrams of niacin in the form of niacinamide, which is 200% of the um, daily requirement, vitamin uh, B6, folate, which is methylated folate, vitamin B12, magnesium, 100 milligrams of magnesium citrate. I commonly recommend that for heart patients. Uh, uh, 100 milligrams of potassium citrate, which is a small amount of additional dietary uh, potassium. One gram of soluble fiber, which is amazing to pick up a gram of fiber just in the supplement. Uh, Beetroot powder, uh, um, ahi flower seed oil, aronia berry juice concentrate, Coenzyme Q10, we recommend that for so many patients on statins. Vitamin K2, grape seed extract, and reversitrol, which is uh, the active ingredient that's in red wines that's so beneficial for heart disease. It's all in the Healthy Cell Supplement. I'm so excited. I will be recommending this to my cardiovascular patients. It's quick to take. It's readily absorbed. You can take this one at any time through the day, but probably for my patients, I'll be recommending it in the morning. So go to HealthyCell.com and uh, take a look at it. If you go to America Out Loud Talk Radio, the uh, website platform for our show, click on the banner bar for Healthy Cell, and that'll lock you right into getting a discount on your very first purchase of Healthy Cell Heart and Vascular Health Supplement. So let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is a McCullery. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. And I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's a great pleasure to get an interview on scene. I'm right on a scene. I'm at a wonderful health freedom event in Rochester, New York. We're at a giant church. There is a massive crowd. I've been so busy meeting people, but I was stunned to listen to a presentation on stage by Dr. Clayton Baker. And I tell you, I had to grab him uh, just behind the stage and get his message. 
uh, to our America Out Loud audience that he gave to this very large crowd in Rochester, New York. So let me introduce Dr. Baker. Dr. Baker uh, went to undergraduate at Harvard. He uh, then went on to medical school at McGill, which is one of the top medical schools in Canada. So he has experience in the Canadian system. He returned to the United States and did his residency at the prestigious Beth Israel uh, uh, Deaconess Harvard uh, uh, Hospital in Boston. He went on to uh, join uh, a uh, Indian health service and did public health service, much like what I did uh, in the course of my career. And now he's given a powerful presentation to the audience here in Rochester, New York. Dr. Baker, welcome to the McCullough Report. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't you take it away from here? Tell us about uh, the early parts of your career and how you really catapulted into public view with COVID-19 and, and the powerful message that you just gave to the audience here. Well, thanks. Um, where to begin, uh, my career after my training was out in rural Arizona, um, northern Arizona on the Navajo Reservation. Spent four years there with my uh, wife. My uh, first two uh, children were born there. Um, best practice experience of my life. Um, and it really just uh, gave me uh, a desire to work with different populations of patients, to have just a varied experience in medicine, and really a thought that I could do good in my profession. Um, It was something where uh, back then I had sufficient belief in uh, the system that I was, you know, going out uh, on a on a bit of a uh, limb to uh, go out to that r- rural area, and it was the best decision I ever made. Uh, coming back, we returned to upstate New York, which we're from originally, and um, have worked there ever since. And I've always been a very private, very um, mind my own business kind of person until really until COVID hit. And what really got me involved initially was two things. Number one, uh, very quickly, I could tell something was extremely wrong. Something just wasn't right. Um, At first, I thought maybe I was not thinking clearly, um, but I paid enough attention to the initial information even before the lockdowns occurred and said, you know, this came out of the lab. There was no question about this. This um, was being spread if not deliberately, deliberately, then with an incredible amount of uh, cavalierness by, by p- people traveling to northern Italy, traveling to Iran, traveling to all these places they never should have been to. And I thought that I must be out of my mind that I'm seeing these things and other people aren't. And then the lockdowns came, and I think at about the third episode of, what was it, the Tiger King, that I realized that this was something was planned in my mind, because let's face it, who tells you you're going to stop going to work, everyone's going to stop going to work, Um, and even the essential people like me, I wasn't allowed to come in and see my patients, I was seeing them remotely initially, Um, the hospitals were essentially completely empty um, in our part of the, of the, the country, and I had friends who were orthopedists saying that they had gone to their management and say, look, keep two two wards open in an 800-bed hospital. Let us keep doing our surgeries. It'll make money for the hospital, and it'll keep us from getting a backlog on hip replacements. No go. Everything shut down. Everything shut down. It didn't make any sense to me. And so early on, I, I just I thought something is, is wrong here, but it, it takes time to figure out what it is. It takes time to really know exactly how 
messed up things are. You don't want to assume that. It's true. And what's your practice area? I'm an internist. I'm a general internist. And for years now, I've done mostly, out, essentially outpatient medicine. Now in the, you know, out in uh, Arizona, I did uh, ICU medicine uh, along with my practice back in my first four years back east, I did hospital medicine as well. So pretty varied, but late years outpatient medicine. Wow. Now take us forward um, to what was the first thing you did as a doctor where you stepped out of the clinic and you had a public opinion now about the pandemic, SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19? That started for me with the school closures. It was pretty clear that even though I believed it was wrong, that the schools where we were were not going to be opened for in-class learning um, that school year. That's the 2019-2020 school year. So when school got out in June, um, I became active with a couple of other people, uh, just two lay people in our school district. And we, um, and with another physician, uh, the physician and I wrote a document that was about three pages long, carefully uh, documented with all the available studies at the time, explaining how the schools had to be fully opened in the fall, that there was no justification for not opening them in the fall. And to clarify, this was the summer of 2020? The summer of 2020. Now, the Great Barrington Declaration was published and at our conference we actually have Jeffrey Tucker and if I'm really lucky I'll get him uh, but he helped organize with Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Koldorf, and Sunitra Gupta the Great Barrington which was published a few months after you were at the school board but you must have felt supported when that document came out. The second time I went in to see our superintendent and the president and vice president of the school board I brought in my letter signed by 24 other doctors in town and um, and the copy of the Great Barrington Declaration. So the wow. second time I went in to see them, that's what I came wow. on. In what town was this? Pittsburgh, New York. Pittsburgh. Oh, that's a beautiful area just outside Rochester. So people who don't know, you know, uh, uh, Rochester's got these rolling hills, beautiful suburbs that spread out. People have land. Some of it extends all the way up to uh, the lakeshore. Uh, great town, uh, but. But people who largely in this area do tend to be left-leaning uh, uh, liberal. Right now, it was described to me that New York State is considered a democratic supermajority, meaning uh, the, the House, the Assembly, the Governor, the Attorney General. It's a clean sweep. And although many of us don't believe this is actually a political issue, there, is, there are political leanings towards more draconian, more severe, and, uh, and unwheeling pandemic response measures among those who tend to be democratic and more liberal. Is that what you found? It is. Unfortunately, it absolutely is. What I found was that uh, it took time for us to, again, figure out what was going on. But as we really made very little to no headway with the um, administration and with the um, other superintendents in the county because the the uh, most of the of the uh, school districts in Monroe County we found operate pretty much in lockstep. Um, that really what was behind this was the teachers unions and that was absolutely the underlying um, sort of again it was the Lord Voldemort they who shall not be named. If you said that they would say oh no no they're in favor of this but then you found out 
through other other uh, sources that they were absolutely not. And we know from everything Randy Weingarten has said that that was not the case. Were the teachers really motivated out of fear of the virus and genuine medical issues, or do you think there are other motives? I think that the teachers, in my experience, the the boots on the ground teachers were much like a lot of doctors were. They had some mixed beliefs, but they kept their mouths shut. I think it was the leadership that was very much sold on this concept of we're, we're keeping this locked down. I talked to individual, I had individual teachers that came up to me very quietly and said, thank you for what you're doing. But that was something that um, happened with some frequency, but virtually none would speak out. Wow. Wow. So take us from there. It's 2020. You went up against the school closings. Uh, I imagine schools were closed here. The public schools were probably closed for a year. Was that the case? What happened was, you know, it was the classic example, Peter, of world ends, poor hardest hit. You know, it was a situation where if you were in some of the wealthier suburban schools where at least somebody was complaining, they were in a hybrid model. If you were in the if you were in the um, uh, inner city schools here in Rochester, they were out of school for the full year. End of story. Wow. And what's happened to their educational standards since that happened? They've plummeted. I mean, it goes without saying they've absolutely plummeted. And uh, it's it's absolutely just tragic. I mean, it's just we. I I can get you the document that we wrote, but I mean, it pre- predicted a lot of those things. But is the loss of educational attainment in that group? Let's say the inner city group that was taken out of school for a year, and the same thing happened in Dallas. Dallas independent schools were out for a year. Is the loss of of educational attainment attainment essentially like losing an entire year of education? It's at least that bad because a lot of the kids didn't come back. So they had dropout rates that were sky high, much higher than they were ordinarily. And so, you know, if a kid doesn't come back to school, that's the ultimate failure of the district. So it's, it's, it's been absolutely just disastrous. I mean, I, we, we went back so many times. I went to so many board meetings. I uh, got testy on more than one occasion and got told to pipe down or be taken out. And, uh, it was it was an extremely it was it was not always but but generally speaking it was very contentious and we got we essentially on the face of it got very didn't get anywhere i think that the pressure was significant from year to year so to give you an example um through carl schwartz who was a very um courageous independent lawyer in in uh rural new york um he started a series of lawsuits very early on, late 2020, early 2021, which was really early because a lot of the courts weren't even open at that point. Mm. And one of the things that I worked on him, worked with him on, was a suit to all 21 school districts in Monroe County. We found plaintiffs from all 21 um, school districts um, through an organization called Rock for Educational Freedom, and we sued every single school district in Monroe County. And we had them on the ropes. We had internal intelligence. The, the woman, Christina Higley, who ran Rock for Educational Freedom is an organizational genius. She's also a, a mom. But <laughs> she had uh, sources telling her that they were on the ropes. They felt that this was going to work in their disfavor and they were going to have to go out of the hybrid model and go into, or, or in, in the case of the city schools, the 
completely remote model and bring all the kids back by March of 2021. However, uh, the judge on the case remanded himself the night before we went to trial. We gave no explanation under New York state law. Supposedly, he doesn't have to give an explanation. And it essentially torpedoed the case because mm-hmm. it got delayed at that point for three more months. And by that point, the school year was over. Like so many things in the courts, uh, there appears to be no fairness. And there's never any closure that, that people just kind of disappear. Uh, motions are filed. Nothing happens. And things are stalemated. So bring us to a a uh, epilogue, if you will, on mm-hmm. what happened with the schools here in the Rochester area. So going, then we had another summer, and so we had another summer of, of battling to make sure that they would be fully open in the fall, because uh, that was by no means clear. And um, we continued, uh, and it was nip and tuck, because uh, Governor Hochul was not giving, just as, as um, uh, Cuomo in twenty twenty. The fall of 2020 waited until the last minute to even uh, uh, or close to the last minute to even allow hybrid learning. Um, Hochul waited until very late in the game to uh, allow um, full basically to make it palatable enough that recalcitrant districts like ours would go back to full full uh, five day a week school. This is really a stunning uh, accounting of what happened on such an important issue to the McCullough Report audience. I'm going to ask anybody listening, what day is it? The answer, it's St. Patrick's Day, and there's a St. Patrick's Day parade going on outside of the church that we're in right now. So if you hear some uh, bagpipes and you hear some revelry, it is St. Patrick's Day. For all of you who are Irish out there, we can again celebrate for another year. Many of you know I'm a strong uh, uh, Irish background, although I'm orange Irish. I'm not green Irish. Uh, that's a <laughs> that's a discussion for another day. Uh, but now let's um, let's change our focus and tell us the key points of your message that you gave here today in Rochester, New York, to this massive crowd. Well, thank you, Peter. I, I would say that the main points I'd give you three of them. The first is that I think that the whole COVID era just peeled back the veneer, the facade of our so many aspects of our society. That um, and, and unfortunately, it really did that for the practice of medicine. We cannot assume as individuals that big medicine, as I've come to call it, really has the individual patient's well-being as even its second or third priority a lot of the time. I really believe that. It's really profit and it's politics and, um, and, and, and the patient comes comes probably third in many, at least from the point of view of administrations and so on. I really believe that now. I, it breaks my heart to say it, as I said in my speech, but I really believe that to be true, unfortunately. And so my second point is that what do, you, what do we do with that? And I, and I think that we do need reform, but in the, in, in, in the interim, the individual person, because people get sick, they need their gallbladders out, they need their they need their hearts catheterized, you know, that's just the way it is, and you need to be able to find the people that at least you can work with and can at least do um, a reasonable job with you. And how do you sort through that? You know, you can't assume that the tenets of medical ethics, you know, the the autonomy, the beneficence, the non-maleficence and the justice are in their playbook anymore. Uh, It's just COVID has made it blatantly clear to me that, that just we can't count on that. And so so the principles you've just brought out like many key terms we could almost have an entire seminar on that on medical ethics 
have just dissolved before our very eyes. I, there's no question about it. I, I taught for uh, a number of years, uh, uh, basically um, uh, medical ethics and humanities. And, you know, this was something that just was inculcated in what I taught my students. And it was inculcated in me when I was, when I was taught. And, you know, if, you're, if your autonomy is, if the patient says, I don't want this, then that's, and you try to educate them if you really think it's important. But if they say no, then no means no. Um, and that, that, that concept, which is, as you know, is very well established in medicine, this isn't a controversial concept, um, is, is that you don't abandon the patient, you don't blackmail them by refusing them other treatments, you, you do your very best knowing that they've refused this, and you tell them what the consequences might be to the best of your knowledge, but you move forward. I tell this story all the time that I had a patient once who uh, I saw in the ER and uh, he, I told him what I thought he needed to do. He wanted to leave against medical advice. I was very worried. And I said, you know, I think you're making a very bad decision. And he said, Doc, I've made bad decisions my whole life and I'm still here. So, <laughs> so I, I said to myself, that's autonomy. I did my best for him. I was frustrated. I got a good story out of it, I guess. But, you know, you do your best for, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for people making bad decisions, obviously, but that's, that's the nature of it. And uh, I just think that we have to understand that uh, autonomy is, is, is absolutely central to it. And if it ceases to be that way, then medicine is not what it was in the past. It simply isn't. Um, and then, you know, you go through the beneficence, the non-maleficence. You know, beneficence, you, you don't tell your patient to take one for the team. You just don't do that. Not as an independent physician, you know, and when people were told, well, get the, get the, you know, I had patients, uh, I had uh, um, uh, people that came up to me and said, you know, I was told just to go ahead and get the second one, uh, second uh, vaccine, even though I was prostrated for a week and a half with the first one. And I said, well, what did you think about that? And he said, well, my doctor told me to do it. Now, I've, you know, I'm a primary care physician. I, I, you know, vaccines are my stock and trade along with about four or five other things. Mm -hmm. If someone has that severe a reaction to a vaccine, I don't give them the second dose. That's insanity. How about with the medicine? If they had a severe reaction to an oral medicine, an antibiotic, would you give them some more? Of course not. Of course not. And there's no difference. There's no, it's a great point. There's no difference. And so this concept that this is, that this beneficence, uh, that's really getting into non-maleficence at that point because you, there's demonstrable harm having been done to them. You know, obviously that's the first do no harm element of medicine, which, uh, um, but, you know. On, on that point, let, let me uh, pose something to you that people have said to me. Uh, you know, one of the junior doctors I trained, I, I, I saw him actually, I was jogging around the neighborhood and he was out by his house and we started talking and I said, boy, I'm really worried about these vaccines that people are dying in the vaccine center. They're dying of fatal published myocarditis, blood clots, brain hemorrhages. And he said, yeah, Dr. McCullough, I know, but COVID's a bad disease and many people have died of COVID. What do you say, what would be the next thing you would say to that doctor? The first thing that comes to mind, Peter, is I would say, have you done the risk-benefit analysis? Which number's greater? And the number has to be much, 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 much greater for COVID than for the vaccine. You don't want a one-to-one -one trade off. You first do no harm. But would we ever, with any type of intentionality, 
ask somebody to risk their life after taking an injection in the arm for some theoretical personal or population benefit? Would we ever know it? If we gave an injection and we knew somebody had a probability of death, one person, five people, 50 people, could you ever do that as a doctor? As an independent primary care physician taking care of that individual, 100%, absolutely no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think that one thing that gets lost with COVID is that people don't understand any sense. This is my opinion, but I think it bears out with the data. Any sense of proportionality. I think a lot of doctors are functionally innumerate. So, you know, if you say, well, how many people died of the smallpox vaccine when Donald Henderson was taking it around the world? If it was one in a million, one in two million, it's still a tough, it's still a tough calculation, but you might at a public health level be able to justify that. But one in 500, one in 50, you can't justify giving someone anything, anything when there's a one in 50 chance of them getting mild myocarditis. Well, let, let me give you another one. I had a, a young man who, uh, this is real, uh, vignette, 17 years old in high school, had a prior form of cancer of which he had received adriamycin. So he had um, a reduced left ventricular ejection fraction, I think I recall around 45%. So that, uh, the medical translation of that is that he did had some heart impairment. And uh, uh, he was in a scenario where he was receiving a lot of pressure from one parent to take the vaccine, not from the other parent. Uh, I was asked for my advice. And so I finally said, listen, let me just talk to the boy. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him. And a typical kind of uh, uh, 17-year-old who's kind of shrugging off the world, he goes, listen, he goes, I can die with the vaccine and I can die with COVID. What's the difference? Well, that's someone you need to have a very, <laughs> I don't know what you said, but you need to have a very uh, quick face-to-face -face and again, tell them you are not going to die of COVID. The statistical likelihood of you dying of COVID is so remote that you're, you're comparing things that are absolutely not comparable. And that's the, that's the error in your thinking right now. And you have to realize that you're talking about one in a million versus one in a hundred, a thousand. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. And you need to tell that 17-year-old that's crazy talk. And it doesn't matter who's saying it to you. And, you know, but, but I'm sure parents listening to this have actually heard this. Well, I could die with COVID. I could die with a vaccine. Sometimes people say, well, I could die in a car accident. Uh, I was recently in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I was at one of these big public programs, and there was a tearful uh, mother and father waiting for me out in the hallway. As soon as I came out, they grabbed me, and they just burst out in tears. And they told me that their 18-year-old daughter went behind their backs, got a COVID vaccine so she could go to a concert. And she died several days later of fulminant myocarditis and multi-system inflammatory disorder. And I, it's on my Twitter. If you, anybody wants to go on my Twitter feed and see the, the live video of this. And I asked him, you, you, you know, what did the doctor say? What did the local media say? What did friends and family say? And they told me they were stonewalled. What's your reaction? <sighs> when you hear those, and that is not, a, it's not an unusual story. 
It happens in every community of any size now. So that's the first thing I would say. That's not an outlier. The second thing I would say is, with all honesty, if you have any sense of rational thought, any capacity for rational thought, how does that compute that that was not of interest to people? How does it compute that that was buried? It makes no sense except that it's deliberate and systematic. And again, going back to what we had at the very beginning when I was watching the third episode of Tiger King wondering what the world is going on here. Something's very, very wrong there. Something's fundamentally twisted there. And for people to accept that shows that there's a, I don't know if it's willful, I don't know what it is, but it's an unwillingness to look at, it's the emperor's new clothes. I use the term in 2020, a crisis of compassion. It's as if the world has lost all compassion. What other sets of parents wouldn't be concerned about this? When I posted it on Twitter, there was reply after reply. Oh, that happened to my daughter. That happened to my son. Over and over and over again. Now back to your compelling lecture here, the third point. The third point would be, I went through seven questions to, to ask your doctor to go back and say, you know, you have to you have to live in the world. And so, you know, you have to know, um, is your physician uh, going to be uh, willing and able to serve you as their primary customer rather than big medicine, rather than other, or are they going to have the wherewithal to push back when necessary? And I tried to uh, put out a few questions that people could ask that were respectful, but were probing uh, to say, you know, what are you going to do when and if this happens again? Or what are you going to do in the fall when they're pushing vaccines on children again? Or what are you going to do the next time, uh, you know, a new product is out that they want you to uh, impose upon people. And uh, those questions, hopefully people will use them. Hopefully they'll think about them. They can reformulate them as suits them. But hopefully get people thinking that you have to go back and you have to say to your doctor, you're, you're going to be auditioned just like, you know, just like any other professional that I go to. You know, if you're going to get your your car serviced. You you don't necessarily take it on faith that everything the guy tells you. You know, I I would have had a serpentine belt replaced every time I went to the went to the to the to the uh, to the shop if if I if I took that attitude. Wow, we've been talking to Dr. Clayton Baker, Harvard graduate, just top shelf internist here in uh, uh, Western New York. Rochester, New York. We're at a giant uh, symposium. We're backstage right now. I've heard some more clapping. Uh, We're going to take a pause, and then we'll come back on the backside of the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. 
the liberty and justice for all. Well, you're hearing the news about the convergence of influenza, respiratory syncytial virus, and now SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, hitting at the same time in some households. Uh, Most of these conditions are mild, but they are bothersome. People have fever, cough, congestion, uh, respiratory symptoms, and one of the best ways to safeguard your home is with the Genesis Fogger. The Genesis Fogger uses HOCL, that is a safe disinfectant. Uh, It is virucidal. It kills the virus in the air and on surfaces. It creates a dry mist. You can use it to sterilize certain rooms, sterilize bathrooms particularly, and I think every household should have it. So go to America Out Loud website, go to the banner bar and click on Genesis Fogger to get a discount on your purchase. And you're gonna need it because the first purchase involves the uh, unit itself, and then you'll get a box of the liquid that's used inside, it's diluted in water, and that's basically the supply. And you're given a a, a real good number of bottles that'll last you a long time, but go ahead and pick up the discount on the first purchase when you go to our banner bar on America Out Loud, and that's the Genesis Fogger. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. We've been talking to Dr. Clayton Baker. We're backstage at a major presentation in Bethel Church, Rochester, New York, just off East Avenue. I can tell you it's been riveting. We've got a St. Patrick's Day parade going on outside of us, people milling about. Uh, lots of excitement here. Terrific speakers, a lineup of speakers. I'm going to be on stage in a few minutes as the closer. Uh, I think many of you probably who follow me on social media have seen this on Rumble. And I was so impressed. Dr. Baker got up stage and he was thundering uh, and roaring like a lion. Uh, Dr. Baker, bring us home now. What do you see as the future? One of the themes here, and it started out with uh, media, iconic media personality, Shannon Joy. Many of you follow Shannon. You know what she said? She got up there and said, listen, there's no judge that's going to save you. No lawyer's going to save you. No, no, no court's going to save you. You got to save yourself. Did you resonate with that message? I did. And uh, Shannon is a dear friend of mine and we've known each other. I never knew her before the COVID era started, but she's become a, a dear friend of mine. And um, I agree with her. I think that this is a time where 
these assumptions that we made and these facades, these facades that exist um, in our in our society that cover up things that we thought were inviolate, they they've been violated, and and we have to navigate things very very knowledgeably, very very astutely, and with our own and our family's best interests in mind. We have to be active and we have to be discerning and we have to be insistent. Uh, there's no other way to approach healthcare right now. Uh, it's, 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 it's the, the, the veneer of it being this quasi nonprofit, um, benevolent, you know, uh, um, you know, the, of the public service announcements telling us how wonderful Pfizer is and how wonderful the CDC is and how wonderful the WHO is. They're, they're, it's a facade. It's false. And that's all at, at 40,000 feet. But down on the ground, that plays out with people trying to put things into your body that you don't want. That plays with people telling your kids they can't go to school. That plays with um, essentially militarization of medicine. And that you have to, if you don't resist, you will be swept up in it. And we all were. Wow. These are some important points. The agencies that Dr. uh, Baker just mentioned, the WHO, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, we could add in the EMA, the MHRA, the TGA for our uh, international listeners. They were all telling us the virus spontaneously uh, 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 was... Uh, conceived in nature through a jump from a bat to humans, they actually propagated intentionally a false narrative. And now the House Select Committee for Origins of the Coronavirus in the U.S. House of Representatives has pummeled witnesses on this. And now there's been capitulation that indeed it's come from the lab. Multiple government agencies have now come forward and said they had oversight over U.S. operations in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the biosecurity annex level four. And just a few days ago in the U.S. uh, House, there was a 419 to zero vote to declassify U.S. documents that were classified on activities in this laboratory. So wait a minute. If there was no, if the virus never came out of the lab, why do we have documents to declassify? I think this is a revelation. And the reason why this is uh, crumbling is because now these agencies are being exposed for intentionally propagating a false narrative. What's been your reaction to this? What's been your uh, in your mind in terms of thinking? Uh, how How did this translate all the way through the medical community. Do the medical community here in Rochester say we follow the CDC, we follow the NIH? Very much so. It, my, in my experience, I mean, in my experience, it's it's been you know, and this is true in the courts with the judges. Typically, you know, the CDC says this, that's what we go with, and you know, it's a cop out, but that's the cop out that they've used, and I think particularly for you know for physicians because. Um, Obviously, the CDC is not always right. Obviously, no one's always right. So it's an absolute, uh, absolute uh, cop out. But I think more importantly, 
more importantly, uh, I think that this is hopeful to me uh, that it's being declassified, that we're going to find out what is going on. I think that the real problem I see with it is that there seems to be, at least initially, less um, more apathy than I would expect. I would expect people to think this is truly a revelation, like you said, and I think the vote 419 to 0 is a revelation. So hopefully it will just take time to really strike everybody at just how um, how important this is. But the initial response is, 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 is not as loud as I would have hoped for. But again, we have a, a media that suppresses everything that is is most central to the real narrative. So maybe that's what it is. I'm hopeful, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm a li- bit disappointed by how excited people are. There, there is no doubt there are so many more shoes to drop on this one. I, I think not only the, the new understanding that indeed the virus came out of the lab as originally published by Menachery and Barrick in 2015, where they just they basically said that they created the chimeric in the lab. But now the full acknowledgement of this by the U.S. House of Representatives is a stunning uh, revelation. And and I think what's coming out of this, Dr. Baker, is intentional deception. Yes. So our agencies intentionally deceived us on the origins of the virus, and it is a natural human instinct to think what else did they deceive us on? I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think as a physician, you know, my viewpoint is if I told a whopper like that, I wouldn't reasonably expect anybody to believe anything I said professionally for the rest of my career. I would expect to be, I would, I would never do that because I would expect to lose my license and perhaps face criminal charges if I... If, if I was found out. So it's astonishing to me that anyone still, it, really the, the involved um, agencies and the involved individuals should have no credibility for now and, and to an absolutely great period of time going forward. Um, that they still do is disturbing and you wonder who, what they would have to do to lose credibility sometimes. Well, we are in a situation, I think many of you saw those uh, proceedings. Uh, Dr. Redfield, the former director of the CDC, said that uh, they started changing in, in, uh, records on genetic codes, uh, actually eliminating certain uh, codes and uh, products from the Wuhan lab, uh, all in the uh, third quarter of 2019. Mm-hmm. And then point blank, one of our uh, representatives asked him, is it your understanding that it comes out of the lab and he said, yes, that's my understanding. So here's the, here's the real question for Redfield, is if it's his understanding that it came out of the lab in, in 2019, where's he been the last three years? Where has Redfield, as a public figure, former director of the CDC? Well, listen, we're going to have to bring this interview to a close. It's really been, uh, I think, a, a gripping conversation about um, medical practice, individual uh, freedom, civil liberties, and, uh, and uh, where we are in the pandemic response. Um, do you have any final words for the McCullough Report audience? 
Well, thanks very much for having me. And I, I would just uh, say this to folks uh, again, maybe just very quickly rehash my three points from my discussion. I think the first would be that, you know, the, 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 the facade has been pulled away. We know that there's just been absolutely historic malfeasance by the whole medical establishment over the last three years, and it's just become absolutely blatantly obvious. And that is creates not just a crisis of confidence, but it creates a crisis in terms of really how viable is the existing medical establishment going forward. Um, the, and so the third thing is how do you navigate it? How do you as an individual, because you'll probably need healthcare at some point in your life. How do you navigate that? And I think that from my viewpoint is you have to go to your doctors and you have to say who cuts your paycheck. You have to say who do you answer to. You have to say what do you think about these COVID restrictions. And you have to press them and you have to hold their feet to the fire. And, you know, if they answer a certain way, um, whatever your uh, your conscience and your tolerance uh, d- determines, you may have to get up and say, I'm sorry, but you just gave me the wrong answer and I'm going somewhere else. Wow. This has been great. Dr. Baker, thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.